All right, back in the book of Exodus, we were just there reading the Ten Commandments. And I happened to pick an odd little story in Exodus for um, using as a springboard to talk about prayer as well. It's Exodus chapter 17, a short little story. Exodus 17, we're going to begin at verse 8. We will end at verse 15, okay? Page number, if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, for most of the Pew Bibles is uh, page number 114. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen as well. Exodus chapter 17, beginning at verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands got tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I was in my early 20s, my dad being very concerned about me when I was in my early 20s. And as I look back, I would be concerned as well. But uh, my dad gave me a book entitled Too Busy Not to Pray, okay? Too Busy Not to Pray. It's written by Bill Hybels. And um, I had a lot of respect for Bill Hybels. He's kind of fallen from from grace um, in recent years a little bit. But uh, that doesn't mean... Some of the stuff that he wrote and preached early in his life isn't still good stuff. And then um, God is good. He redeems a lot of stuff that is written or thought by human hands or human minds. So I read the book um, soon after my dad gave it to me. And, and I'm, I, can't, I can't claim that the book transformed my life completely, um, you know, right off the bat. Um, but I can say that it shaped the way that I have thought about prayer throughout the rest of my adult life, okay? And I know this because I actually read the book again recently, and a lot of it was familiar. It was kind of like, I was wondering why I thought that about prayer. So there was some good stuff in there. But this time when I read it, God actually used it to confront me and to convict me about some things. He showed me that my prayer life could use some attention, could use some work. See, prayer has not always been a strength in my life. 
mean, even serving as a pastor for 10 years, I've had some, some seasons of, of really diligent prayer, and I've, I've had some, some seasons where I've fallen off the wagon a little bit. Regardless, though, I, I have to say that I know more about prayer than I've ever actually practiced in my own life. And there's a reason for this, and it's going to sound like an excuse, and maybe it is, maybe it's not. It's certainly not a valid excuse, but, but I'm built kind of like a plow horse. Not just physically, I'm built like a plow horse kind of in my mentality. I, I kind of just push through each thing that I have to do one thing at a time, one step at a time, okay? Just kind of plod along. You're not going to be seeing me zipping this way and that way. You're not going to see me multitasking much even. Work your problems one at a time. Do the thing that's in front of you, then do the next thing, okay? And so throughout my adult life, I simply did not want to step out of my rhythm or my workflow. I, I will even say that, that I have been afraid at times to step out of my rhythm or my workflow because I didn't want to risk anything that I was working on. I didn't, I didn't want to kind of break the routine. But consequently, you know, there were seasons in my life where I kind of refused to step out of that routine and really explore what prayer was all about, okay? But during my sabbatical last year in particular, the Holy Spirit gave me a leading that was so direct that um, I couldn't ignore it, couldn't argue against it, I couldn't disobey it. And the leading was to take prayer more seriously as a vital exercise in my faith, both, both my personal faith, my personal devotions, and also uh, my willingness and my, my readiness to pray with some of you and to pray with, with groups that I'm a part of. The leading was to explore prayer and to pay a little bit closer attention, to, to practice it until I had a better understanding and a better grasp, and most importantly, uh, better habits surrounding prayer. And I tell you that I have tried to obey that leading over the past year. And in this series, I want to share with you some of those things, some of those things, those valuable things that I've learned. Now, why do I even have to teach about this? Maybe that's a good question to start with. I was thinking about that a little bit this week. And I really could only come up with one conclusion that made any sense to me. And that is that prayer, I think, is something of an, an alien activity to our proud human nature. Okay? I mean, our lives from birth could be described as a movement toward self-reliance and self-sufficiency. Am I right about that? You know, from birth, it's, it's one benchmark after another. It's, it's us beginning co totally dependent on our parents, particularly our mothers. And then it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a process of growing up and, and finding ourselves and being able to take care of ourselves. And so built into our very developmental process, we have this kind of movement towards self-reliance and self-sufficiency. 
And in a sense, I think that prayer kind of flies in the face of that process. It, it compromises our autonomy and our desire to be independent. And when we get to be adults, this is particularly true of men, but it's, it's true of women too. You know, we are determined to, to make it on our own strength and our own ability. We're just determined to do that. It's part of being a man or it's part of being an adult. And, you know, if that's where we're at, can you see how prayer could be seen as something of an embarrassing interruption? But I think also that is precisely why God gives us so many object lessons in Scripture. Examples showing that our intended human nature is not to be self-reliant or self-sufficient at all. Yeah, that's, that's our human nature in a fallen state to be self-reliant and, and independent and, and self-sufficient. But our human nature, our intended human nature was to be wholly dependent on God. And whether or not you're in that camp in terms of what you think, I can assure you, I can assure you that that is the reality anyway, that we are completely dependent on God. God didn't design us to be self-reliant and self-sufficient. He designed us to be wholly dependent upon what comes only from him. That's why we say in more theological terms, God not only created us, but he also sustains us every moment of every day. So, Consider our passage this morning. Maybe some of you are wondering a little bit, why in the world did Pastor Drew pick that passage that seems weird? But bear with me for a couple minutes. Let me just remind you what that passage was about and give it a little bit of context. Following the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt during their time of, of wandering in the wilderness, Moses, the leader of God's people, is, is faced with this crisis. And that's kind of where we jumped into the story. An enemy army, the Amalekites, arrived near Israel's desert camp, and their intention was to conquer and to plunder and uh, probably to destroy them completely. And so Moses calls in his most uh, capable military leader, Joshua, um, to have a little discussion about military strategy. I mean, what are we going to do in this situation? This is a crisis. This needs a response now. And after a, a thorough planning session, Moses shares the approach that they're going to take. He says, Joshua, tomorrow you're going to take the best fighting men that we have. You are going to lead them out onto the plain to meet the enemy, and you are going to fight with courage. And meanwhile, I'm going to take two guys with me. I'm going to climb that hill that overlooks the plain, and I am going to raise my hands toward heaven, and I am going to pray that God is going to pour out upon our troops, upon our army, uh, good strategy and courage and, and valor and, and supernatural protection, and then I am going to watch to see what God does. Now, Joshua... We know this from other parts of scripture. He was a man of faith himself, a strong man of faith. He agrees with Moses' plan. He believes 
in prayer. And you even get the sense that he would rather have the prayer support of Moses than, than the military support of his army. That's how strong he is in the faith. And what happens, of course, is that Moses' arms are stretched toward heaven. Joshua's troops prevail in battle. They fight with this divine intensity that drives the enemy back. But then, as to be expected, Moses gets tired of holding his hands above his head in prayer. Have any of you tried to hold your hands above your head for as long as you possibly could? Me either. Why would you do that? But can you imagine that you would get tired with your arms raised like this for as long as you could? Uh, an entire day. So Moses gets tired. And when he gets tired, he's like, okay, I need a break. And he puts his hands down to his side, probably paces around a little bit, maybe sits. And to his discouragement and dismay, the tide of battle shifts right before his eyes. Joshua's troops get struck down. The, the enemy gains a foothold. It's like, wait a minute, we were doing so well. So Moses stretches his arms toward heaven again, brings the matter to the Lord. And immediately the momentum of the battle shifts back to Joshua and the Israelites. And again, they are driving the enemy back. And so the realization comes to Moses in this flash of insight. He has to keep his arms stretched out to heaven in prayer in order to kind of keep the door open for, for God's supernatural intervention on the battlefield. Now, I don't want you to think this is magic. I don't want you to think that this is tit for tat. I don't want you to think that this is, this is some sort of transactional process. I told you this is an example that God gives in Scripture. It is an object lesson to teach us how dependent we are upon his provision in every circumstance, not just on the battlefield. But Moses discovered in this experience that the sovereign power of God is released or uh, tapped into through prayer. And in fact, the Bible is full of passages teaching that our almighty, omnipotent God is ready, willing, and able to answer the prayers of his people. I mean, think about the, the miracles in uh, earlier in the story that we're reading from Israel's exodus from Egypt and, and their journey to the promised land, all those things, all those things were answered. So were Jesus' miracles of, of stilling storms and providing uh, food and healing the sick and even raising people from the dead. Those were answers to prayer. As the early church was established and, and grew and spread throughout the world, God answered belief, believers' continual prayers for, for healing and for guidance and for deliverance. The power of God through prayer. We've all seen it happen, whether we've registered it or not. The power of God through prayer can change circumstances and relationships. It can help us face 
ugly struggles of life. It can, can heal psychological and physical problems. It can remove obstacles or strife in your marriage. It can, can meet material needs. In fact, it can handle any kind of difficulty, uh, dilemma, or discouragement that you will face in this life. And the supernatural power of God is made available primarily to praying people. Praying people who are convicted to the core of their beings that that he can and will make a difference. Now, skeptics are going to argue until the end of time that that answers to prayer are nothing more than coincidences, But, but it has been said by someone smarter than myself, it's amazing how many coincidences occur when we start to pray. When I got serious about my prayer life, I discovered the same thing. When I fall off the wagon sometimes and let my devotions and my prayer life slip, and then I get back on the wagon, I discover the same thing again. And I think to myself, what in the world is your problem? Why are you forgetting such an important, important thing? It comes down to this. If you're willing to invite God to involve himself in your daily challenges, you are going to experience his sovereign power in your home and in your relationships, in your workplace or school, in your church, wherever it is needed. And that power can come in the form of wisdom, an idea that, that you desperately need but couldn't come up with on your own. It might come in the form of, of courage greater than you could generate on your own. It might come in the form of confidence or, or perseverance or a changed attitude toward a, a spouse or a child or, or a family member or a friend who's hurt you. It can come in the form of changed circumstances or, or maybe even once in a while we have them in our church, outright miracles, right, Spike? See here? However it comes, God's sovereign power is released in the lives of people who pray. If you choose to rely on your own strength, which many of us do, your own strength or intelligence or problem-solving ability, don't be surprised if very quickly you start to get that nagging feeling the tide of battle is shifted against you and that you are, when it comes down to it, utterly powerless to do anything about it. Prayerless people cut themselves off from the sovereign power of God. And that results in feelings of being overrun and and overwhelmed and beaten down and pushed back and and defeated. It never ceases to amaze me. I say this about myself. I say this about others. Never ceases to amaze me how many people settle for lives like that. I don't have to settle for a life like that. You don't have to settle for a life like that. Nobody has to live like that. And prayer, regular prayer, is the key to unlocking God's activity. Maybe you don't want to call it power. Maybe you want to call it activity in your life. 
Once Moses made that connection between prayer and God's activity or power, he determined to spend the rest of the day praying for God's involvement in the battle. That didn't mean his arms didn't get tired, but he knew better than to drop them to his sides. He had just done that, and he had watched what happened in the battle. And so those two men that accompanied him up the hill, Aaron and Hur, they found a stone for him to sit on, and they stood on either side of him and held his arms up. What a picture. Moses being supported by caring people who wanted to help him keep God's power flowing through him and through God's people. We're going to get into this a little bit later. This isn't the thrust of this sermon. But that's one of my favorite parts of the story. It's not just that Moses finds the strength. He realizes, oh my goodness, so much depends on me holding my arms up in prayer all day long. It's not like he finds some sort of strength to to do that as on his own for the rest of the day. No, he has two brothers in Christ who accompanied him up the hill, holding his arms up. Prayer... Personal prayer can be a very personal activity, but a robust prayer life involves the people of God as well, and I think that's a beautiful picture. Well, needless to say, Israel won the battle that day. God tells us in his word that believers can be confident that their prayers will be answered. Our prayers are more than just wishes or hopes or or feeble aspirations. They're more than that. But I will say this. Prayer requires faith. Jesus, jumping to the New Testament, says in Matthew 21, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Jesus tells us here that confidence in God is vital to prayer. That's a little scary. Some of us have more confidence in God than others. But for all of you, let me just give you two very practical principles that can increase our confidence in God. And the first principle is this. I've talked about it before. Faith comes from looking at God, not the mountain. When we focus on our problems, all the details of our problems and and our own inability to uh, stand in the face of those problems, then our problems quickly fill our entire horizon. Focusing on ourselves, focusing on our barriers, our confusion, our inexperience, our weakness, focusing on our fear of failure will cause our prayers to be ineffective if we even remember to pray at all. Because we get wrapped up, all wrapped up in our own limitations rather than we, what we should be focusing on, which is God's ability. So we need to change our focus. We need to remember that our prayers are directed toward the creator and the sustainer of the world, the king of the universe, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. Our prayers are directed to a God who has always been faithful, who has never let us down, no matter how bad the situation looked. 
Our prayers are directed to a God who wants to bear good fruit through us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. When we focus on God instead of the mountains or the problems in front of us, brothers and sisters, he is able and he is willing to do his work. So that's the first principle, focus on God. The second is this. God gives us faith as we walk with him. God gives us confidence in our faith as we walk with him. Said another way, that that mountain-moving faith that Jesus talks about in, in Matthew's gospel begins with simple obedience. The Ten Commandments, which I read earlier in this service, simple obedience. And so that means that our challenge, again, is to shift the focus of our prayers. Don't spend a lot of time describing your problems, every little detail of your problems to God. He knows what they are. Instead, shift your focus onto the one who can move those mountains, the one who can solve those problems. Focus on his glory and his power and his love and his faithfulness. And then start walking in faith, following his lead, and watch him do amazing things beyond what we could even ask or imagine. But all this talk about power, all this talk about God's power in our lives, it's all really, really important. It's all really, really important. And it's very, very true. But I have to admit that the greatest blessing in my prayer life has not been that list of miraculous answers to prayer that I have received. Although that's, that's amazing. When you start tracking God's answers to your prayers for, for your own life and for the lives of those that you love, it is a significant list. It, it grows quickly, okay? That's important. That's not the greatest blessing, that demonstration of God's power. The greatest blessing has been the qualitative improvement in my relationship with God. See, me and God, although we've had a relationship for as long as I can remember, um, we, we used to be a little bit more casually related to each other. I mean, we didn't get together and talk on a regular basis. You know, my relationship with God, my prayer life was, was more like the occasional 911 call, right? I'm in big trouble. I need help. You're the only person I can go to. But man, when I'm in a groove, when I'm in a groove, God and I talk together a lot. We don't talk on the run. We take the time talking, engaging, soul-searching conversations. Try to do this every single day. And I'm not telling you when to, when to pray, whatever works for you. But man, when I'm diligent about starting my day with prayer, I find that my days go a lot smoother. And I end those days with a smile on my face and another prayer to God feel as though I've gotten to know God much better since I started praying more regularly. I can assure you, because scripture backs me up on this, that as you grow in prayer, God will reveal more of himself to you, breathing more of 
his life into your spirit. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul was quite familiar with this phenomenon. He writes in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Fellowship with God, trust, confidence, peace, relief. These will be the wonderful blessings that you experience as you pursue a life of prayer. Look forward to talking more about it next week. Amen. Let's pray.